Well, hey, Connect. Uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name's Chris. Get to serve on the team here. And just thrilled that you decided to join us today because today we're kicking off a new teaching series we're calling All In. You see, there's a time in every game that fans hate, but the team needs. Fans hate it because their entertainment stops, but the team relishes it because it's an opportunity to catch their breath and refocus on what's ahead. Uh, fans, they might get up to use the bathroom or grab a, a thing of popcorn. The, the, the team, though, oh, the team, they're listening to their coach, remind them of the game plan, and they're focusing on how do we play together better so we can win together. There's this time in a game when, when fans check out, but the team dials in. And that time is halftime. Uh, we kicked off the year at Connect, and we, we talked about how we want to be about what Jesus is about. Like, if we're going to follow him, we want to be about what Jesus was about. Now, what's Jesus about? Well, we've said it many times. We'll continue to say it many times. Jesus said it this way. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus' mission was a search and rescue mission. Uh, he, he's like the good shepherd in the story that he told. And he leaves the 99 to go after the one, the one who's lost the one who's hurting, the one who's broken, the one who's disconnected. Jesus came to connect us so we can have a relationship with God. And now, as followers of Jesus, his mission is our mission. We seek to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. And just like Jesus did, just like his game plan, game plan was, our game, game plan, why is that so hard to say? Game plan. Uh, our game plan is to love the one far from God, because God is for every one. Now, in many ways, this time of year, summer, feels like halftime. Uh, not only is it kind of like halfway through the year, but the rhythm just looks different. The rhythm of life, all of it, schools are out, we're vacationing. It's great. It kind of feels like halftime. So, we have an opportunity. We can approach this time like fans, or we can approach it like a team. And we're going to approach it like a team because what we're called to is far too important to let our guard down. We are going to lean in because our relationship with God matters. And th those around us, they matter to God too. And they're way too important for us to just act like a bunch of fans at halftime. So we are a team. We're going to lean in but here's what this is all presuming. This is all presuming that we're on Team Jesus, that we are like on the team, that we're, that we're on the field, we, we, we're playing with him. And I would hope that like in a room like this, that more of us would be followers of Jesus than, than fans of him. But here's the deal. Just because we show up on a Sunday morning and we attend church or we try to do what's right, or maybe we grew up in a Christian family, just because those things might be true of us, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're following Jesus. The call to follow Jesus isn't for like some, some part of us or, or some number of us. The call to follow Jesus is for all of us to go all in and follow Jesus together. Now, the, the, the call to follow Jesus is a high, high calling. And Jesus had a high calling himself. And we're going to take a look at his calling first, then we're going to look at our calling, because if we're following him, well, we should probably know who we're following. 
If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We're just going to look at one verse, and then we're going to look at a bunch of verses thereafter. Luke 2, verse 11 is where we're going to start. And if you want to follow along, a great way to do that today is through the church app, because we're going to look at a bunch of different scripture references, and they're all there, along with a place to take notes. Now, let's pray, and then we're going to dive in. Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your unconditional love for us. Now, we don't have to do anything to earn it. You just, you love us. And Jesus is evidence of that. And as we open your word now, would you speak to us? Would you speak to us about what it really means, what it really looks like to follow you, Jesus? We ask this in your name. Amen. All right. The night that Jesus was born, an angel appeared to some shepherds and announced the following. Luke 2.11. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. All right, who, who is Jesus? What's his calling? Well, in this birth announcement, we see three key elements to Jesus' identity. The first, he's Savior, Messiah, and Lord. What we're going to do is we're going to briefly take each of those in stride and just get a better idea of, okay, who is this that we may or may not be following? Jesus is Savior. Uh, we read it in Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus' mission, his search and rescue mission, was central to his identity. It's who he was. It's who he is. And you see, what Scripture does is Scripture makes sense of the brokenness that we feel, the brokenness you and I experience in life, brokenness that we're, we're, a, we're a culprit in and brokenness that we are the recipient of. The brokenness around us is because of sin, because God said, go this way, and we chose to go another way, and now we end up hurting ourselves, hurting others. And ultimately, you know what our sin does? Is it breaks our relationship with God. We're created for a relationship with him, but our sin breaks that relationship. But Jesus came to seek and save the lost, came to seek those who are broken, who are hurting, and to connect us back to a relationship with God. Jesus is Savior, or excuse me, Jesus is Savior, yes, and Jesus is Messiah. Uh, when rumors started to spread about Jesus, this is later on in his life. He's like 30 plus at this point. Rumors are starting to spread all around the region about who, who this teacher is, who is Jesus. And Jesus just, he looks at his disciples and he asks them, like, well, who do, you, who do you say that I am? Matthew 16 records this. But what about you? He, Jesus, asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, uh, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but, my, my, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus was not simply a good teacher. Jesus was not simply a prophet. Jesus was the Messiah, the one that the prophets prophesied about. For hundreds of years before Jesus was born, God had spoken through the prophets saying, hey, one day the Messiah is going to come, the anointed one who is going to free you, my people. And Jesus is that Messiah. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Messiah. And Jesus is Lord. John 13, 
uh, 13 and 14 pick up on this idea. This is the last week of Jesus' life, and he's talking with just his close disciples right around a table. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Jesus is Lord. That's not a word we use often. It means master, or we might use the word leader today. If he is our master, if he is our leader, then we should follow him. It's not just like this, this passive thing where we watch Jesus go do something. Uh, followers follow. Just like part of the deal. So from the night Jesus is born, we see that Jesus has got a high calling on his life. He is Savior, Messiah, and Lord. Now, there are, are numerous examples of how Jesus pursued this calling throughout the Gospels, these four biographical accounts of Jesus' life. But here's one thing that stands out at all the critical junctures along the way. Jesus pursued his high calling by praying first. Check this out. Let's just start in Mark 1, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. It says this in verse 9 through 13. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was uh, in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended to him. Now, a couple of things stand out to me from this account. You see, for one, God refers to Jesus as his son. God the Father shouts from heaven, this is my son whom I love. So we got to add a fourth identity marker for Jesus. Jesus is the son of God. Now, another thing that stands out is that God's love for his son, for Jesus, it preceded anything Jesus would do for him. God just loved him as a father loves his kids. I think of my girls. We've got three little girls, and every night when I put them down, I'll tell them, I am so glad I get to be your dad, and I love you because of who you are. You're mine. And I tell that to them every night because I don't ever want them to think that my love is dependent upon their behavior. Because some days they get it right, and some days they don't. But my love for them doesn't change. God's love for Jesus did not change. The father said, you are my son whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. And you know what? God's love for us is the same. He loves us before we do anything for him. How cool is that? I mean, that, that has to be so freeing. Because we're not judged based on our performance. Uh, our value doesn't, isn't anchored there. Our, our value is anchored in whose we are. We're, we're his. Now, what really strikes me in regard to what we're talking about today is Jesus gets baptized and then he goes out to the wilderness for 40 days where he prays and he fasts for 40 days. I mean, he's got a lot, a lot ahead of him. And Jesus prayed first before beginning his ministry. And when Jesus' ministry started to pick up speed, uh, you know what he did? He's healing, he's teaching in the middle of two really jam-packed days. All kinds of ministries happening. Healings, the whole deal. Mark 1.35 tells us very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. 
So even when Jesus had a lot to do, Jesus prayed first before starting his day. Also, Jesus prayed first before picking his people. A little later on in his ministry, a crowd had been forming and, and people were clamoring. They want, to, they want to be close to Jesus. They want to learn from him. They want to be healed by him. And Jesus does this. He prays first before picking his people. Luke 6, 12 and 13 tells us, One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. So, so crowds start to form around Jesus. They're enamored by him. And Jesus wasn't after f uh, fans, though. He wanted followers. So what Jesus did is he, he slowed down and he spent the night in prayer, asking his heavenly Father, God, who should I choose? Who should I choose to spend a disproportionate amount of time with? Who should I invite to follow me? And then, the next day, I picture Jesus out there like a, like a team captain at recess picking his kickball team. He's like, Peter, I'll take you, Andrew, James, John, goes all the way down the list, gets his team of 12, and he's like, all right, guys, you can go home. The rest of you can go home. He's got his 12. The few that he's going to invest the majority of his time, effort, energy in, because Jesus knows that when he invests in a few, It'll reach the many in a much more impactful, life-changing way. So, Jesus prayed before he picked his people, and Jesus prayed before fulfilling his calling. The very end of his life, the night before he died on the cross, he had just had a great meal with those 12, and then he goes to a very familiar place. Luke 22 records it this way. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus had a high calling, very high calling, and he pursued it by praying first. Before he started his ministry, before he began his day, before picking his people, before fulfilling his calling, Jesus prayed first. Now, when I observe Jesus' prayer life, not just the, the quick glimpse that we got, but when you like read through the Gospels, when I observe his prayer life, it challenges me. Because my days, my days feel like chaos. Get up early, make breakfast, get the girls up, rush to the office, finish the talk, answer some email, go to lunch, have a meeting, come back from lunch, have a staff meeting, maybe catch up on some email that I, that I didn't, that I've missed throughout the day. And then I, I go work out, come home, we have dinner, clean up from dinner, put the girls to bed, clean up the house. And that's just a, that's just a Monday. If I'm not careful, I can start living like I'm too busy to pray. And yet, when I, I look at Jesus in the way he lived, he had far more to do than me. Teach, heal, save the world. And yet Jesus was too busy not to pray. He, he prayed first. He had a high calling and he pursued it through prayer. 
So Jesus has a high calling. What's our calling? And how do we pursue that calling? Well, Jesus' calling was a high calling, and our call to follow him is a high calling too. Jesus pulled no punches. He said it this way in Luke 14. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Luke 14. We're going to be there for a little bit. And here, again, we see large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go out to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one who's coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he'll send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's fit neither for soil nor the manure pile. It's thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Jesus' call to follow him challenges me. I love my wife, Amanda. I love our three girls. I'll do anything for them. I'll take a bullet for them. You know what? I, even, I love myself too. So I try to eat healthy. I try to exercise regularly. I even floss. Like, yeah, who does that? Right? Someone who loves themselves. I love myself, I love my family, and yet what Jesus says here, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. What? Like, what? I, I did a little research to try to understand what Jesus was getting at here. And I'll let you know on the front end, it's like a little bit easier to understand, but it's still really hard to live. What Jesus was doing here is he was using hyperbole to make his point. He's not saying that we should literally hate our parents, our spouse, our kids, our family, or even ourselves. We're not supposed to literally hate them. That would go against Jesus' teaching elsewhere, that we should love others as we love ourselves. But what Jesus is saying is that we should love him so, so, so much that our love for others appears like hate. He is supreme. He's supreme, which means we don't bow at the altar of marriage. We don't bow at the altar of our family. We don't even bow at the altar of health and fitness. We bow at Jesus' feet because Jesus is Lord. We don't often hear this preached because a message like, hate your mom, doesn't exactly fill stadiums. But Jesus wasn't after fans. Jesus wanted followers. People who would be all in, totally surrendered, wholly committed in following him. Whatever he asked, nothing is off, off, off 
limits. Everything is his. That's the kind of following Jesus called us to and called this original audience to. He puts the ball in their court. He's not trying to to trick anyone. He's like, look, this is going to require everything. I think of a call I got to talk with Morgan Worthington this week, and she was sharing a little bit of her story with me, and many of you know Morgan. Uh, She started, her and Isaiah, they started to come in February of this year, but before that, she had done a vision board with her sister, just kind of hopes, dreams, what do I want this year to look like? And one of her desires had always been to see a therapist, and work through some anxiety that she had been experiencing. So she she got up the courage. She went and she met with a therapist, and this therapist gave her an option. She's like, all right, you can can do this kind of therapy, or we could do a faith-based approach. What what would you like? And Morgan always felt like, Christianity, the church, like, that's, that's not for me. Like, I don't even think that's an option for me. But She decided to read this book that the therapist recommended, Boundaries, by Henry Cloud. And in that book, there was a verse that came up that reminded her of that vision board that she had done. It's 1 John 4, 18, which says, there's no fear in love. And that just, it kept coming up. And she's like, all right, whatever. Like, sure, let's try this faith-based approach. And shortly thereafter, they came to connect and, and she said, I appreciated her on She said, I expected to be told, don't do this, don't do that, like a bunch of shaming coming from the stage. And what she said is that she has never felt so welcomed in her life because of you. Uh, Isabel Oakley ran up to Isaiah and Morgan after the service and said, where's Hudson? They're, they're friends from class. Where's Hudson? And they're like, I guess we should come back, you know? Uh, Alex and Morgan, they invited Isaiah and Morgan to come to their community group. And they did. They showed up, and they felt so loved and accepted. Well, you fast forward a couple months, and uh, we, were, I, we shared a message one day from stage. The Holy Spirit was working, and Morgan decided she's going to go on. She's going to follow Jesus. So she came up, and we, we got to talk, and we prayed, and she told Jesus, like, hey, I I repent of my sin. I want to follow you. I want your forgiveness. And then right then and there, we all went over to the pool right over here, and she got baptized. Because that's like step one in following Jesus. And Morgan did this. And you know what? She was overwhelmed by your response. That like everyone stayed. Everyone came. Everyone cheered. And then on Tuesday at group, they did it all over again. Not the baptism, but the celebrating. (laughs) Overwhelmed by the response which is really encouraging because the response of her family and coworkers was underwhelming. She, she shared that as she shared this, this decision to follow Jesus with those she loves, they weren't all that excited for her. She even said her coworkers made fun of her for now following Jesus. And as we're talking about this, Morgan said something that really stood out to me because of the passage we just read, she said this, I'm going to have to leave behind my family as I grow, but it's worth it. I can't even imagine living in any other way. I can't imagine not having God in my life. That would be so sad. When she said that, 
I just, I was like, whoa, like that is a commitment to follow Jesus. But why? Why is it worth it? And when I asked her that, she just said the peace she feels, the purpose she has. And she's living that out, inviting friends, family. It's not easy, but she's living for Jesus. She is all in for Jesus. Her life is being reoriented around him. Jesus never said following him would be easy. What Jesus actually said was, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. He expounded on this idea in another teaching. Mark 8 records it for us. There he said this, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man, referring to himself, will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Like I said, Jesus didn't pull punches. He shot super straight. And Jesus doesn't just want some part of us. He doesn't want to just be like an element of our life. He wants all of us, our whole life, total surrender to him. Our family is his. Our finances are his. Our time is his. Our life, everything is his. The call to follow Jesus is a call to be all in. It is a high calling. And because it's such a high calling, it's hard for me. Because I, I love my family. I love my time. I like feeling in control of my life. But I love Jesus more. And let me tell you why. While, the, while Jesus calls us to be all in with him, he first went all in for us. I love how Philippians 2 summarizes this beautifully, way better than I ever could. There we read this. Who? talking about Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Jesus, the Son of God, gave up his right to be worshipped as God for a time, he was born in a manger. He lived a life of, of service, became a servant, but he wasn't done. He took up his cross so that we could have life with God. Jesus lived a sinless life, but, but he died a death that you and I deserve. That's the, the ultimate result of our sin. It's eternal separation from God. But Jesus stood in the gap so that you and I can stand before God, so we can have a relationship with him. Now, it's hard, it's challenging, but I am all in with Jesus because he's all in for me. Uh, some of us, we've been sold a cheap gospel of, of like simple believism, a uh, fire insurance from hell. Come to church when it's convenient. That's what some of us have been sold. And you know what a cheap gospel will do? It'll fill stadiums. But Jesus wasn't wowed by crowds. He was after followers, people who would give their everything to follow him. Uh, Jesus said it this, this way in Luke 14, 33. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, 
you have cannot be my disciples. He can say that because he went all in for us. He has the credibility. He has the track record. He's demonstrated his love. He went all in for us, so will you count the cost? Will you count the cost to go all in with him? I can't think of a better way to count the cost than to do what Jesus did. You see, Jesus pursued his calling through praying first, so we pursue our calling to follow Jesus through praying first. If you believe that Jesus is Savior, Messiah, and Lord, you should tell him that. Pray. Tell him that. Like Morgan did. Repent of your sin. Every time we do that, we receive his forgiveness and then follow Jesus with your life. Step one, get baptized. We've got changes of clothes. We've got towels. You can get baptized today in the same pool. It's the blessing of doing set up church in a rec center. There aren't always blessings, but that's definitely one of them. And if you, if you have surrendered to Jesus, you've been baptized as a, as a public declaration to everyone else, to the world, that you're a follower of him, that he's Lord. Then I want to challenge you to pray first this week and then throughout this series about what it would mean for Jesus not to just be a part of your life, but to be your life. To not just be like in on Sundays or in at this time, but like all in, together all in following Jesus. Uh, for Jesus, prayer, prayer wasn't like his, an afterthought. It was his first thought. It wasn't his last resort. Prayer was his first response. It's what he did and it's what we should do too. That is, if we claim to follow him. So pray, pray now, knowing what's coming. Here's what's coming in the weeks ahead. We're going to be challenged to love everyone. We're going to be challenged to give sacrificially. We're going to be challenged to serve humbly, to multiply for impact, to unite together. We're going to be challenged because the call to follow Jesus is challenging, but it's worth it. It is so worth it. And, and as we do this, we're going to be a people, a people who pray first, trusting that the Holy Spirit's going to lead us and guide us throughout the day. We're going to pray first uh, before our day just like Jesus did. Uh, this morning, I, uh, I, I want to I, you know, know Jesus more. I want to follow him more closely. So this morning, I, I started to read. I'm going to read through the Gospels over the next month and a half, okay? Did the math. If you read two chapters a day by like the first week of September, I can read through the, all the Gospels and just soak in Jesus in his life, in his ministry. And I just want to know more. I want to follow him more closely. I would invite you, hey, as you, as you pray first at the start of your day, if you want to start reading through the Gospels with me, great, let, let's do this together. Let's get to know Jesus together. But not just at the start of our day, let's also pray when we pick our people. Like, like who are you going to follow Jesus with? Because following Jesus it has never been a solo venture. It's hard, and God gave us people to do that with, to follow him with the church. And pray first before fulfilling our calling, what it means to follow him, the challenge, the different elements. Like, hey, some of us throughout this series, we're going to hear a message. We're going to be like, wow, by God's grace, I'm actually like doing okay in that area. And then there's going to be other areas where we're going to be challenged. It's like, ooh, wow, that struck a chord. What would it look like to be all in together? Because as hard, as challenging, as difficult as it is, remember, whoever follows Jesus finds life. So connect. It is halftime. 
And we're not going to act like a bunch of fans. We are going to rally together and we're going to go all in and we're going to follow Jesus together. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that, um, that though you call us to much in a relationship with you, a total surrender, you, you went first. And because of that, we have the courage to take a step. So would you work in us towards that end? Would you reveal areas of our lives where we're not following you? Maybe we're not loving well, or we're not uh, acting like you would have us act, or, or we're more divisive than we should. Whatever it is, Lord, would you reveal the areas to us over the next month or so, and would you align us with you? Would we not just say we're followers of you? Would we actually live as followers of you? We ask this in Jesus' name.